A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 182 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the triple zero to my BT1, the EU guru himself, the count of those two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, everybody. Wow. 182. I had no idea we were that close to 200, and we still have things to talk about. Yeah, I, I honestly, like, we're at that point where I'm like, okay, we're doing all this extra recording for summer content. I remember the last two years was like, we did so good in that that we kind of floated all the way up into November, and then we're like, okay, we got to stop recording ahead if we're going to do the end uh, year-end review. Uh, so I'm kind of like wondering, how are we coming along here? Like, yeah. <laughs> we're getting close to that position where we're like, oh, wait, we got to slip those in. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we got New Jedi Order to eventually get to and stuff like that. We can record plenty of stuff that doesn't require being timely. We just have to be like, hey, everybody, how are you doing uh, this week? <laughs> Kind of like, like, like when you don't know a person's name, you're like, hey, you. Well, at the time of recording for this, I actually put out the spoiler-free review for Dark Disciple, which we still haven't even sat down to record the full in-depth review of. Uh, But, you know, it's just the nature of the beast Mm -hmm. of being this far ahead with the podcast. I mean, the content is a coming. And I'll tell you, speaking of Dark Disciple... I just summarized it for the Star Wars Timeline Gold in the last couple of days. We're recording this a couple of days after 4th of July. And even skimming it to summarize it, I damn near cried at the end. So I'm looking forward to discussing that book. Mm-hmm. But not yet. Not yet. We still got a little bit of Vader to go. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we continue to plunge into Marvel Comics' Darth Vader, issues 1 through 6. This week, we are focusing on issues 4 through 6, as well as the covers. Now consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go, on another adventure, Beyond the Films. To quickly recap, we've got the Darth Vader series. This is the storyline called Vader, so this is Darth Vader colon Vader. It is written by Kieran Gillen, with art by Salvador LaRocca, and Edgar Delgado doing the colors. Um, we saw the first issue that 
basically tie it into some stuff that we saw with the ongoing Marvel Star Wars series. These two series do somewhat interweave with each other. In the first issue, we saw Vader meeting with Jabba the Hutt the day prior to his meeting with Jabba the Hutt on official purposes in the other series. We saw him hire two bounty hunters, Boa Fett, to go after Luke, which happens in the other series, and Kersantan, Black Kersantan, this big Wookiee, to go after this individual known as Silo 4. He is this mysterious cyborg who was briefly seen meeting with Palpatine, and Palpatine would not identify him to Vader, which got Vader to decide he needed to send out a bounty hunter to capture this guy for a conversation. We also saw in that uh, first issue that Palpatine is pretty pissed about the destruction of the Death Star. We find that General, or now Grand General, Cassio Tag not only survived the Death Star, but is now being placed in charge of the Imperial military forces. The last thing we saw in Issue 1 was that Vader decided to spend some of his time on Tatooine just slaughtering a whole bunch of Tusken Raiders, because as we determined last episode, Vader is racist against the Sand People. I think Tusken Raiders is probably the politically correct way of saying it. Sand people is probably the pejorative, and it's probably more like a ah, 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 ah. I hate you. All your people laugh like Louis Skolnick from Revenge of the Nerds. You must die. <laughs> um, but suffice to say it ended with sort of some senseless killing. That moved us to issue number two, in which we got to see a little bit of the interaction between him and Tag as they took on this group of rebel pirates, or these pirates, who are basically attacking shipments that were arranged from Jabba to the Empire in the conversation we see in the other series, not this one. And Vader used the opportunity to get rid of an adjutant who is basically supposed to be sort of spying on him for Tag, gets him out of the way by implicating him as a, as a turncoat, essentially. And Vader winds up encountering some reprogrammed battle droids that were fighting on behalf of the pirates. In issue number three, he hunts down the woman who did that reprogramming, the rogue archaeologist, as she calls herself, Dr. Afra. He recruits her to be part of a special team that he's creating that can be loyal only to him for his ends. And she was in the process at the time of getting a couple of droids working that are now also working for Vader. Triple Zero, which gets this personality matrix put into him. It's basically a protocol droid from hell, a protocol droid who is versed in torture and is kind of uh, sadistic for lack of a better term, who is then used to reactivate BT-1, which is this other droid, an astromech-looking droid that's actually a special assassin droid that also has all kinds of weapons and stuff built into him, both of which are from the so-called Tarkin Initiative that we at this point know nothing about continuity-wise. We're hoping to get some more answers on that later. We wind up finding that Afra is a little off in that she loves this stuff, and she's sort of the antithesis of Indiana Jones. She acts like Indiana Jones in some respects, but at the same time, she also thinks that the weapons that she's finding need to be used. She likes uh, the thrill. She's an adrenaline junkie, it seems, as a character. And we left off with them heading to Geonosis, where they're going to try to get their hands on a droid army for Vader, which gives us the opening crawl of issue four. Chaos grips the Galactic Empire. After the destruction of the Death Star, the disgraced Sith Lord, Darth Vader, was demoted by his master, Emperor Palpatine. It is now clear to him that no man can be trusted. The rule of law is in danger. Unknown to the Emperor, Vader is quietly pursuing his own interests. The mysterious, force-strong pilot who destroyed the Death Star and the identity of the stranger who is conspiring with the Emperor. But... 
For this, he will need his own personal secret forces. Vader recruits droid archaeologist Dr. Afra to do so, and she leads the fallen Jedi to the old war zone of Geonosis. That brings us to Geonosis itself, and the first line of dialogue is another of these reminders we are in a new canon here. The droid Gotra heard about a surviving Geonosian queen with a droid factory. Droid Gotra, this sort of droid gang that's out there. Them and the Crimora Crime Syndicate are these two organizations we are constantly hearing about in references within new canon books or story group canon books and comics that we really haven't seen much of that are probably being built up to be something. We haven't learned a whole lot with them just yet. Uh, one wonders if they're going to come after Vader or come after Aphra because of her not turning triple uh, zero and BT-1 over to them. What we find is that basically the planet was sterilized by the Empire. There's no queens left, supposedly, no hives, but they go into this cave system as Vader's having a brief flashback of his kiss with Padme when she truly, deeply loves him. As she says in Attack of the Clones, which I always thought, you know, should spring some Savage Garden music playing. Um, and when they go inside, when the droids go inside to map the tunnels for them, they discover a bunch of droid Geonosians. Not Geonosian battle droids, but Geonosian-shaped droids. Uh, essentially, like you would have, you know, a protocol droid is essentially a human or humanoid droid. These are Geonosian-styled droids. Uh, and we get this great moment of Triple Zero uh, saying, Hello, sirs. I presume you speak Geonosian hive mind, a language I am more than fluent in. Alas, I have nothing to say, but if you will. And he just has BT blast them with flamethrowers. Thank you. Oh, no, actually, a few words do spring to mind. And he says something in this alien language, and the translation at the bottom cracks me up. It's, ha, 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 you are on fire and also dead. Yeah, that was a great moment. I, I, I... I don't know. I love the fact that these two look so much like 3PO and R2 in all the panels. I mean, I, I think, you know, when we were talking last episode about how when issue 3's cover came out, you know, and the, the little bit of controversy there about, oh, new character, new characters and all that, you know, I think it was a brilliant move to pick characters that remind us of Leia slash Padme and 3PO and R2. Seeing a twisted and evil side of these characters you know, it makes you also wonder what these new factions are going to be, especially with that new one, the the droid Gotra. I mean, that one is something I'm really curious about because I know Legends, they played up before about the angle of people don't trust droids, you know. And then later we found out, you know, well, part of that was because of the prequel trilogy and the Separatists used droids. So people had, a you know, a, a disregard for droids. But I always remember, and I think it was one of the tales of... Uh, I think it was Tales of the Bounty Hunters with IG-88 and he ended up taking over the Death Star and all the other droids and stuff. And that threat of, you know, what could happen with a bunch of droids in the wrong hand. I believe even uh, the New Rebellion played on it again uh, with Crueler uh, and he was using droids in a similar way. But I don't know. The idea of droid mobsters is very creepy. But creepier is how you keep referring to her as Padme-esque because I don't – I could see her – getting a thing for Vader simply because she's half nuts. And mm -hmm. this is kind of like what she lives for. But I don't want to see Vader get a thing for her. I don't want to see a relationship. I don't want to see this series become a romantic comedy. So they go through the tunnels. And what they basically figure out is that there's this queen that's still there, this Geonosian queen. And biology has failed her because of the sterilizing of the planet. She's now turned to science 
to basically have children, to have offspring. So it's this weird situation where you've got this Geonosian queen attached to a big egg-laying apparatus. really reminds me a lot, not just of what we saw in the Clone Wars, it reminds me a whole lot of aliens. And it's spitting out eggs, except they're like incubator-type things or shells for battle droid-style Geonosians, where it's not actually Geonosians, it's these weird robotic surrogates for Geonosians. It's very, very strange. And Vader uh, confronts the Queen directly. Uh, you, the Queen says, why are you here? Has the Empire not taken enough from the Geonosians with your bombs? No. And he just cuts her completely free from the egg-laying apparatus or whatever you want to call it um as I, she I, calls the droids in i was under the impression he cut off her abdomen like the lower half the reproductive side well the part that's the part that's attached to the the machine yeah she's, we, i mean she's not she's not giving birth to them because they're robotic but she is physically attached to the machine yeah that was the oddest part too was was the how did that work because i i was always under the impression that that kind of like uh, uh starship troopers that the abdomen was just gigantic and that they built the machine around her abdomen. Um, but that, that is, I, so apparently that must be the droid factory. She's just attached to in that regard, mm-hmm. even Wait. more twisted. When did they sterilize the planet? Was this all after the fact? Yeah. I mean, it had to be after revenge of the Sith at some point, but I do find it interesting. If you think about this whole egg thing, um, and this this makes me have a hard time taking it seriously. And I'll say up front, this is my least favorite of the issues of this series so far, even though it has my favorite conversation in it of the entire series so far. Um, I, I was I was thinking about, okay, so how would this work? She's got this droid factory that she's attached to, but it's laying eggs, basically, with the eggs being what these droids are coming out of. So if they're all not biological, it's all machinery, does that essentially make the eggs she's laying like those stupid-ass eggs that you get out of the, the coin machines at the grocery store that has the toys in it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I really do. She's like, well, we need a containment unit. Here we go. Exactly. She spent way too much time playing around with the kids begging for quarters that now, well, credits or whatever. So now I have Republic Dataris. Let's put it in there and get an egg. And oh, look, there's a droid in it. Um, very bizarre. But, of course, there's this brief battle that ensues. We get a great moment where Afra she needs to put a locator on the roof so that their ship, which, oddly enough, is exactly like the Queen's J-Type 327 Nubian um, from The Phantom Menace, that uh, they need to put this locator on the roof so the roof can show up so they can recover this droid factory that they've just separated the Queen from. Says, you know, we got a problem! Can't get the locator on the roof. The thrusters have gone. Can you? And Vader just flicks his finger and whoop, it shoots up in the air with the force. And she just has this, this almost loving smile on her face. Of course you can. You're Darth Vader. She's really digging this. And again, in sort of a creepy fashion. He brings down the roof, uses the force to block the debris from getting to them. And they're able basically, thank, well, with the droids launching off because of boosters that BT has, they're able to just lift that entire little droid factory thing up into the ship so they can escape with it and Vader can use it in the future to create his own droid army. They then go back to her base. Although I find it interesting that she refers to the 
the the Nubian ship as the Archangel, and she has referred to her whole base that's like a, a, a connection of a bunch of different ships, it looks like, as the Archangel. Apparently the name applies to both equally, which was a little odd. Honestly, though, this, this action sequence did very little for me. For some reason, this big action-filled beginning left me feeling cold because I wanted to see more interaction of the characters and more dialogue and banter between them, and it just felt like a smash-and-grab to me. Yeah, the smash-and-grab angle, I, I have to agree. I, I like the darkness of what was going on Genosis, the fact that they were sterilized and all that. It was confusing as to how the queen was using the machine itself. But I think the part where I got the most confused was the Naboo ship. I mean, when it just shows up, I'm like, we don't see that when they're first parked. You know, we see her and her ship. Uh, you know, and then when they go to take it, you know, Vader, or at least I'm thinking it's Vader. No, it's 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 probably Alpha herself. She goes, are you sure your ship can lift this? The Archangel is a heavy-duty lifter. Yours looks like a pretty little thing, but... And then, of course, you know, he says, do not worry. She has certain enhancements. But when did he go and get the ship? Where did he get the ship? How did he get the ship? That ship showing up threw me off. And oh, well, I think that I didn't even realize based because she says she's after to Archangel barrage to location now. And then, yes, she is the one asking. If it can be lifted, I was thinking she was the one saying that it has enhancements it is vader so the the nubian ship isn't hers it's vader's yeah and where the hell did the... he get and was it parked there on genosis the whole time like you know was this the ship from episode two that they left parked there no and no, it... no 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 because no, look at the ship this isn't the, the design of the ship from episode two or three this is the design of the ship from episode one that we don't see after episode one in canon right now. So is it possible that this is the episode one ship that he somehow got thanks to his connection to Padme? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that was really off and confusing to me. I'm like, wait, what, how, what? <laughs> like, I, I mean, in, in the story sense, I'm like, what is the purpose of bringing this ship in? You already had a ship. Granted, it's got Vader's ship attached to it at the bottom. So, you know, maybe that's why, but, but yeah, what is the purpose of bringing this ship in plus leaving all the angles of how it got there, where it came from and all unanswered. I mean, it's worse than that moment with the droid in the last issue where the droid planted the information. I mean, at least that you could kind of put together, but I have no clue how to put this together with the story. <laughs> yeah. It seems as though now, I mean, now that it's clear that that was Vader's, it's almost seems as though it must be seeding it for use later that they don't want to make it just her Archangel, that for some reason Vader having that ship is going to be important, or Vader having a ship other than just his TIE Advanced or Star Destroyer is going to be important. It's yeah, it's an interesting angle. Well, in the fragmented way that this story has progressed so far, I could see that working. I mean, you know, maybe this is one of those, hey, don't forget. So we continue on, and they're back on the Archangel, her ship, her base, and... She's basically got it so that, barring some minor tweaks, it looks like the droid factory is going to work out just fine for Vader. This this little self-contained, basically portable droid factory that they've got. And they're having it make commando droids of the design that we saw back in the Clone Wars. And we get, get my favorite conversation in this series so far, although it's not much of a conversation, it's mostly Afra talking. She says, so, 
Are you planning to kill me now or later? You have a private off-the-grid army for whatever you're planning next. You don't need me anymore. I knew my clock was ticking the second you stepped off your TIE fighter. If I get a choice, I'd like the lightsaber right through the neck. No warning. Nice and quick. If I get a veto, ejection into space. Always had nightmares about that. Brr. And you see Vader look at her but doesn't say anything. I act glib, but I'm not stupid. The way I've lived, I know I'm lucky to be alive. I'd rather not die, you understand, but I'm happy my blood's doodling in the margins of a story worth telling. Vader finally comments, You have proved yourself resourceful. You are safe as long as I have use of you. If you try to blackmail me, you will find your plans confounded and your life at an end. And she answers, You know, you can trust me, but you shouldn't. I'm a walking, talking, stupid risk. You need to win, Lord Vader. This is for a higher cause. When you need to do it, do it. And lightsaber, please. That is my absolute favorite conversation because it is so... It takes the character that so far has been kind of nuts, but interesting and fun to follow, and now it gives her that sort of sense of reality and that deeper side where she's willing to die to have been part of this, and she's kind of got an acceptance of that. It's, it's almost like a soldier accepting that they could die in war, and yet in this case, by serving Vader, she knows she could die, and this is her cause. As she says, a higher cause. See, this is another angle where I felt that resonance to Padme. Like, she looked at the world and she saw it for what it was. And I think, you know, for me, like, I'm with you on the aspect I don't want to have a Vader love story, but I can see Vader putting value in her because of those types of personality traits and the resemblances of. I could see him starting to kind of fixate in that regard and kind of, you know, putting that, that care that he doesn't have for anything. Uh, that we later see him start to, you know, really start to show again and manifest with Luke. But I, I kind of almost wonder if, like, this is when he's going to start to be reminded of those things. I mean, we saw, you know, she took him to Genosis. He remembered Padme and him being there. Like, I'm wondering if he's going to start to feel a kinship with her because of those similarities. They don't get much time to really react to that conversation because Black Kersantan arrives with his quarry. He has captured silo four who at that point we still don't know the name of and there's like you're gonna tell me the exact location of your headquarters what my master had you do etc etc and vader however doesn't really have time at the moment to do the questioning so he leaves it up to triple zero hello i am triple zero and i'm looking forward immensely to torturing you today and we get a torture session where triple zero finally comes out it says later makes me wonder if we're gonna see what happens in the interim with vader in the other series uh, and out comes Triple Zero, reporting that he is Dr. Silo 4, that Triple Zero has figured out the nature of his commission from the Emperor, where his research base, this weird biological research base, is. And, oh, by the way, I'm sure you're very interested in meeting your rivals. Explain. The Emperor's replacements for you, sir. Set course immediately. Bump, bump, bump as the issue ends. And everybody's expecting these rivals to be new Sith or something that we're already delving back into the always two there are, but not really, because there's a bunch of side Sith apprentices. But not really. Well, the thing that gets me is the torture angle. Like, I love seeing Triple Zero do what he does best. But as we're about to reveal in the next issue, the whole Silo 4 angle. You know, I I get a feeling that Silo is supposed to be short for Cylon, 
because of the way that this character's four becomes a five, which makes me stop and wonder going, well, but wait, not only that, take a Roman numeral four, I V connect the edge of the I to the V. If it's sans serif and you've got an N. <laughs> yeah. Bam. Perfect. Yeah. And, and that's the angle where it's like, okay, if we're going to take for a moment, you know, and, and we're jumping ahead a little bit to, to give you this, but if this character is like a Cylon and can and transfer his personality from one body into a new body, the way Cylons do in Battlestar Galactica, what do you have to fear from torture? Why give up any information unless you wanted Vader to have that information? But that's exactly the case. We will find that Vader is wanted there, right? Because Silo is going to call the Emperor to see this confrontation. So, yeah, I think it was definitely a, wait, what? But it, it was it was more manipulation on Palpatine's part, I think, or at least Silo's part on behalf of Palpatine. So we pick up with issue number five. And I just want to say, right before we jump into this, the weirdest part about the first panel of this is that at this point, this combined group has three ships, but they've decided to leave two of those ships behind and take just that Naboo ship. And I was like, oh, what? again, getting back to that angle of why are we using the Naboo ship? What is so important about this ship? More great dialogue here real quick. You know, says uh, Afra, I don't want to jinx anything, but I think we've found the bad guy's secret base. You are correct. I was joking. I am aware. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. <laughs> He's not going to be having as much fun as you are, lady, but okay, at least you're on the same mission. They find this truly bizarre, it's hard to even describe this base. It's like these huge flying, or not really flying, but like space creatures that have arms that are kind of like fins or wings with research station stuff built onto them. Almost like I think back to the way they would have tried to harness the exogorths, the space slugs back in Knights of the Old Republic, only these are a different type of creature. Very odd looking base. Um, but... We see them go in. Uh, we get another great moment from Afra, right? She launches an ion charge so that Vader can then get down into the base. 60 seconds until boarding. And Lord Vader, may the Force be with you. This is the greatest job of my life. Her, her, her enthusiasm is amusing as hell to me, for whatever reason. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it is. It's almost infectious. Uh, and, and I think when I first saw those creatures, I immediately thought of the Whaladons. Uh, you know, from the Mon Calmari, but uh, yeah, it's clearly like, what in the hell? And I love Vader's expression. You know, he's like, he saw, he's, she talks about being happy and he's like, yeah, if one's fond of abominations. And when he mentions that, the first thing I think of is the Yuzen Vong, what they would have thought of if they'd have saw these creatures. Like, oh man, that would have really ticked them off. Oh shoot. See, my thought was, I was thinking Star Trek, Lord Vader, there be whales here. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. So, Vader slices his way into the base. Uh, he allows Triple Zero and BT to go in as a distraction first. Vader busts in. Uh, basically, again, he doesn't need to breathe. He's got that atmospheric containment in his suit, so he just cuts open one of the side walls and outgo most of the defenders. He comes in with his commando droids and make their way into an area referred to as the Dojo. Uh, BT was able to lift some uh, some schematics of the entire base from its system, so Afra's able to tell him what this place is called. And the dojo 
is where he finds two apparently unarmed humans, or what he thinks are unarmed humans, who are like, you know, is this a test? What's going on? And one of them draws a lightsaber followed by the other. So they're not actually unarmed. They just aren't carrying blasters. Um, we find out who these people are in the next issue, but they look like a pair of possibly cybernetically enhanced, based on their arms, uh, it's either armor or it could be cybernetics, um, Jedi. Mm. And one of them, the male, thrusts his hand forward and the door slams shut behind Vader, closing out all the droids. But Vader immediately realizes the door. That was not of the Force. That was trickery. The Force is weak in you. You are no Jedi. You are no Sith. And the the man jumps with his lightsaber. That's the last thing I want to be. Jedi, Sith, they are history. And we get a very brief scuffle between these two humans and Vader until what looks like Silo walks in and tells them to stop. And he reveals himself to be Silo Five, because as Mark was hinting at, just like Cylons, the human Cylons or humanoid Cylons in the Battlestar Galactica Reimagined series, uh, think of the way they worked with resurrection ships. If one of them dies, there's an identical body somewhere else on a resurrection ship, and the consciousness just gets downloaded into that new body, and they go on. So in this case, when Silo 4 died under torture from Triple Zero, this new body woke up with this a personality matrix or whatever you want to call it. When the last body didn't return, my next body was activated. I created a personality map small enough to be simulated efficiently. Add memory banks and plug-in calculation systems, and I am an immortal system. I am something new and far from human. And Vader's kind of confused, right? Because he's like, I understood you were making apprentices here, but there's nothing of the Force in them. There's nothing of the Force about anything here. And Silas says that they are meant to be replacements um essentially not just replacements but an upgrade from vader something that doesn't have to use the force and shows several of them that again we'll get more information about in the next issue you got another human female with some droids amon calamari a trandoshan along with those two humans and they've taken out the rest of the battle droids by that point vader calls it blasphemous Mm -hmm. this has nothing to do with the force much like you lord vader I look at you, more machine than man, and I see a bridge between the old world and mine. In many ways, these are your children. And before Vader can kill Silo, in comes Sidious slash Palpatine with his greatest one-liner. You will forgive Lord Vader. He is sensitive on the topic of children. (laughs) And it's the image. This is the one moment where I think the artist kind of failed in the series. I talk about how great the art is as we go along here, but I and I posted this image up on our Facebook page a long time ago when this issue came out, but it really looks like Palpatine was sitting there trying to hold back a fart, let one go, and it turned out to be a shart, and he just dookied his pants, because he's got that look in his face like, oh, oh, oops. <laughs> I made the duty. <laughs> I feel you know, something squishy. <laughs> one of the things that really tipped me off was before Vader mentions that it wasn't the force when the one Jedi looking guy goes at last and he sticks his hand up. If you look at his hand, the palm of his hand and even on his forehead, there are all these robotic little lines and circles and stuff. And that immediately jumped out to me. I was like, Oh wait. And then Vader, you know, he makes his comments about what's going on. 
and the fact that the force isn't here and that it's more science. And that started to intrigue me, uh, you know, and I'll get more into that as we go into deeper into next issue. But the angle of what the doctor, the Cylon uh, or Cylon four, whatever his full name is, you know, what he was doing here intrigues me in the aspect of what could be applied to Vader himself. You know, I mean, you know, as we're going to see in a second here, these people are able to throw flames from their hands and things like that. And I don't know. I was just thinking like, boy, if this technology was utilized in Vader's armor, how much more badass would he be if, you know, instead of throwing Sith lightning, which is something I would love to see him do, throw up his hand and blow up the whole arm and throw some lightning bolts. But what if he could throw it up and, and, and launch some flame with this technology? I mean, they're definitely playing with some angles and aspects here that haven't been messed with that much in Star Wars. I mean, when we see it in the next issue, it looks like flame bending. And I dig it. And in my left wrist, you will find an Apple Watch. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting here the way that Silo lays this out. He says that... I'm here to prove that the Emperor only really needs an apprentice in a ceremonial role. His strong right hand needs the firmest grip, and I'm here to show that my creations have a tighter hold than you. So it's interesting in that he's not saying any of these are supposed to really be an apprentice replacement, as Vader was thinking. No, Vader will still be the apprentice, but he'll be more like a figurehead, and the right hand of the Emperor will be one of these, very much like... Ormond Tag, as I mentioned in the last issue, was wanting to do that in the old Marvel series, or Prince Shizor in Shadows of the Empire wanted to usurp Vader and be the right hand. You'd have to be someone who's a dark sider to replace him as an apprentice. But in all those Legends examples that we kept seeing, it was someone trying to usurp Vader's position in the Empire, not in the Sith hierarchy. And that's basically what Silo is doing here, except Silo, it seems, is being directed to do this by the Emperor, not someone doing this on his own. This is an imperial plot by the Emperor himself. And we get what appears to be a confrontation about to brew. Show me something worthy of my attention. And we see the cybernetic apprentices, whatever you want to call them, Silo's creations, get ready for battle with Vader. Although, for some reason, because of the way that panel is drawn... The Trandoshan looks like he's either falling forward or really, really fat. And the way that the one with the droids is, I think her name is Tulon, is holding her arms out with the little seeker droids flying around with little lightsabers sticking out of them and such, I couldn't help but hear the 1990s cartoon X-Men theme in my head. <laughs> you do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Their names appearing on the screen. These are Palpatine's X-Beings. <laughs> Oh, I saw the same exact thing. Oh my god, the fact that you saw that is is priceless. You know, another thing about all the stuff that Sidious is doing makes me stop and question is, in a lot of ways, when when Sidious puts down Vader in public, it almost seems like he's diminishing the Sith because they don't know that he is the master. They're just under the impression that Vader is the top Sith, and Palpatine's just like, ah, you Sith. Ah, ah. Who cares? You know, like he's just constantly diminishing the the idea of what the Sith are. And Vader's going to go around and just force choke everybody. So they remember, no, I'm a threat. I, you watch Palpatine slap me around, but I'm a threat. Let me choke you some more. <laughs> like there's this yin yang there with the galactic uh, public eye of what the Sith are about and what they're capable of. I mean, even these guys, a Sith Jedi, we want to be something more. It's like, 
you want to be a Sith, man. The, the Sith have got the power. So we move into the final issue here. And at this point, honestly, I was like, really? It's, for some reason, Silo's creations and that idea just, it felt off to me. Like, oh, so you're basically recreating Jedi powers on humans using technology. We've sort of seen hints of that before in the Legends continuity. Now you're doing it in a big way here. I hope these characters don't stick around. I was very much down on this idea. I still am not quite sure what I think of it, but the way this issue wraps up at least gives me a feeling like, okay, this could turn out to be good. It's either going to turn out really well or lame as hell. One of the two, because it's such a an, an odd deviation from anything we would have come to expect. One of those interesting twists, but an odd deviation. So... Vader's ready to fight them, and we learn a little bit about them. We find out that the two humans okay, are Moritz and Iolan, I guess how you're supposed to say it, Astarte, or Astarte. They were part of a family that was on the Separatist side in the Clone Wars, and because the, the father feared retribution from the Empire, he turned the two children over to Palpatine to use, or excuse me, over to Silo, to be used in a way to somehow redeem their line as servants of the new empire. Um, and they've been raised basically in the, the mentality of, as he says, uh, that would be roughly paraphrased as Hail Palpatine. So very much sort of like a Hitler youth style indoctrination that's going on here. And we see them doing things with Vader like, as, as Mark was saying, firing flames out of their cybernetic hands. Um, fighting with lightsabers, even though they are not Force-sensitive. Um, interesting. And, as Palpatine notes, and twins, so I have a spare, right, in case one of them dies. We don't get to actually learn anything really about the Trandoshan, as far as his name goes, but he apparently has a trainer AI personality that guides his bestial instincts, um, and so he only feels what the controller desires him to feel. He will not be around for very long, but that that's that technology to do that is the big deal here, not the Trandoshan himself. So they can apply that technology to other hosts. Uh, and it should work on anything, according to Silo, up to and including a Rancor. Oh, that would be swell for the Rebels. <laughs> we find that the woman who seem it looks like she's telepathically controlling these droids. She's like cybernetically linked to them. All these seeker droids uh, that are zipping around are like they're like a size that crosses between seeker droids and the little spy probe droids we see on Rebels. And her name is Tulon, as I said. And uh, many of her closest friends were also as brilliant as she is. And many of them died on the Death Star because they were part of that project. And she's distributed her intelligence throughout all these different drone things, these droids. Um, they're controlled directly by her cerebellum, so this droid cloud fights for her with blaster shots and lightsaber type things that they can use. Um, so she actually doesn't have to jump into the battle herself per se, and she has a personal shield, so when Vader throws one of them at her, it just hits and bounces off the shield. So uh, in uh, her name is Tulan Voidgazer, which sort of makes sense. She's sort of gazing into the void of, of nothingness as she spreads her mind around to all these different um, uh, droid bodies. Then you've got Commander Carbon, uh, K-A-R-B-I-N, not C-A-R-B-O-N, who is the Mon Cala, or Mon Calamari, who was uh, someone whose ship was lost right near the end of 
the Clone Wars. He spent 18 years on life support and was transformed basically into a Mon Cala version of General Grievous with the spinning lightsabers and the forearms and everything. Um, that sort of first step in the process. Grievous was a step, and then here's this guy as a step, whereas for the Empire already, Grievous was a step, and then Vader was a step. So it's sort of a parallel evolution of this guy and his cybernetics to Vader. Um, before we get into what happens with them, it, my impression of this group, it's interesting, and but I kind of feel like people must have felt with Giant Size X-Men number one, which is, wait, I already kind of know these players. I like these characters I've been seeing. These guys don't impress me yet. These guys seem like you've just taken these characters, made them as diverse as you possibly could, probably as far as like species and whatnot, making them kind of odd, and giving them these abilities, and you're just telling me, hey, these are their abilities, aren't they cool? I haven't had a chance to get to know them, see them in action, and they feel kind of gimmicky so far. So I still wasn't quite feeling it by this point of the issue. It felt like the series had kind of gone off the rails a little bit. Yeah, there were angles of that that were at play, but I think for me, it came from the conversation between Vader and Palpatine that brought it back where I was open to more of the possibilities of what the technology could use. I mean, I like the fact that that the program originated with the Separatists before it brought was brought underneath the Empire's control. But Palpatine, you know, he's mentioned, you know, Vader coming up with his own army, and Vader says, they're abominations. This is heresy. And Palpatine goes, you forget who is master and who is student. It is your duty to learn what I know. It is my duty to learn what there is to teach. You stand there, more metal than men, and talk of abominations. Were it not for my open mind, you would not be here. Everything is of the Force. And that's a comment that, as a Legends fan, I've always enjoyed. You know, I mean... Obi-Wan always talked about the Force being in everything, you know, and yet droids kind of always seem to exist outside of it. And yet the metal and everything, the rocks that were lifted up, all these things, they're all part of the Force, even things that don't live. And yet Vader, like, seems to haven't quite figured that part out yet, and Palpatine's trying to teach him that. And that's an angle I am really digging on. Yeah, it's like everything is connected to the Force, it's just not everything can necessarily consciously access the Force. Um because there's nothing really about the Force within these except for the fact that they are living beings. Uh, one of which ceases living in the brief melee. It's, it's interesting. It's like, you know, prove yourselves to me, right? Very well. To the death, yells Silo. And the battle starts. The Trandoshan is getting the upper hand or trying to with Vader. And uh, Morit, the guy of the twins, kills him. And Palpatine's like, oh, that thins the herd sufficiently. Cease. So the big battle royal that we sort of saw coming in that last panel of the last issue turns into a everybody kick each other's ass until one of you dies. To the death, but only one death. So it really kind of fizzled out very quickly. I was kind of disappointed that we didn't get to see more action with that if that's what they were really trying to build up to. Um, like Palpatine really wants to see them prove themselves, but not here, which is kind of interesting. Um, Vader steps away. Uh... It, it, from the actual combat, everybody kind of like puts down their weapons and Palpatine comes down. Adequate silo. I think I can find a use for them. You will strike down all that oppose us in this hour of chaos. However, make no mistake. In the end, I only need one of you. Do not slay each other. Or if you do, ensure I do not find out. And he walks with Vader, talks, and that's 
where you get to that conversation you were talking about, about him being impressed about the other forces, the comment about abominations, how they're all of the force. But Palpatine continues, again, sort of kicking him in the crotch, as we talked about last uh, episode. Do not underestimate how much you disappointed me on Mustafar. I saved you, but you showed how far off the mark you fell. Silo has been training the twins for 20 years. All these years, you were considering replacing me. The dark side is strength. If they defeat you, they are stronger. If you defeat them, you prove you are. This is the way of the Sith. I named you Vader after you pledged yourself to the Sith. You proved yourself worthy then. I'm certain you will prove yourself worthy now. And that seems to really take him aback because when he says you proved yourself worthy then, there's a shot of Vader with his head kind of leaning back and all these lines coming out from him like a shocked anime character. I'm kind of surprised that that would be the line that's supposed to shock him, like, holy crap, he thinks I'm not worthy anymore after all the other crap he's been through. Well, I, I like it, though, because it, it it says before I was even put in the armor, Palpatine was considering replacing me. Like, you know, we're watching Palpatine start to plan things, start to keep secrets from Vader, but now he's realizing he's 19 years too late. Like, he should have been doing this from the start. And then comes... What is probably, again, I love the conversation with Afra, but if that is the coolest conversation in this arc, we slowly move towards what I think is the coolest scene or pair of scenes in this arc. Uh, they go back to the ship, and uh, there's a message waiting. Lord Vader, I... This would not be a good time to bait me, Afra. I know. I have a message from the other bounty hunter, Boba Fett. He caught up with the boy. He wants to report. And this starts to cross over with issue number six of the other series. In the other series, we see the Slave One approaching the Star Destroyer. We don't get that here. And in the other one, in the other series, you get two panels. I lost him. That is most disappointing. He got lucky. That is now one panel in this series, but again, identical dialogue. We see here focusing on Vader with the back of the head of Boba Fett in two panels in Vader, one panel looking at Fett's face because he was more the focal character in the previous, or in the other series. Did you bring me anything of value, Bounty Hunter? Not much. Just his name. And whereas in the previous one, we got a shot basically of just, it was uh, Vader from the side where Boba says Skywalker, then a panel of them two just kind of standing there with nobody saying anything. Then a panel of Boba turning away, we're done here then. Vader by himself, Vader's fist clenching, and the viewport cracking where he just says, Skywalker. And we end it with the viewport itself cracked. We get more in this series. He said, Boba says, Skywalker, and we get a shot of Vader's helmet. And immediately see, we're done here then, as Fett is turning to walk away. But then we get a series of flashbacks. We see what's going on in Vader's head which I love. I love that they're finally doing Star Wars stories that really tend to use flashbacks because that wasn't something you tended to see with Star Wars much as a storytelling trope back in the day. The other cool thing about it is every one of those flashbacks are bordered in red so you can kind of tell, hey, this is supposed to be a flashback. Like, kudos Marvel for that. Right, and they're all done in ways that not only mirror scenes that we saw in the films, they mirror the framing of the shots from the films and get the dialogue right as opposed to so many times you see something that is a hackneyed attempt 
to flashback to a Star Wars film or some other story where the dialogue is wrong or the staging is wrong, as we discussed a little bit back in the previous episode uh, when dealing with the flashbacks to Skywalker Strikes. So we've got Padme telling Anakin about being pregnant. Something wonderful has happened. I'm Annie. I'm pregnant. Then we've got back to Vader's face. Then back to the flashback. That's that's wonderful. Back to Vader again with his fist clenched at his side, as it was in the other series, but not gritting and shaking anything yet. Vader's face. Flashback. Where is Padme? Is she safe? Is she all right? Flash to a crack beginning to form in the viewport. Flashback. I'm afraid she died. It seems in your anger you killed her. Well, I'm trying to remember if I'm afraid she died. I don't think I'm afraid she died was in Revenge of the Sith. I think it was just, it seems in your anger you killed her, was the line in the movie. I'd actually have to go back and check. Um, his fist starts to to tremble, and we see him say, Skywalker. And we see the viewport all broken, but we see it now from behind Vader instead of in front as if we're in space. And this scene actually continues. We get the Emperor, now. And the Emperor appears as a hologram for communication. Yes, Vader. Ah, I sense your anger. Great anger. Have you something to say? Some proud, defiant words? Or are you wise enough to know your place? And Vader's like, you know what? Screw you, Sparky. I was calling to ask about the whole, you know, sun thing and all, but you're still being a dick. So Vader says nothing initially. Like he's thinking it over and then said, I am angry. You would not have me otherwise. My anger brought me to you. I want you to know I will not fail. And I understand us precisely. Which, of course, gives us the new context of, yeah, he understands that he's been being manipulated this entire time on the core thing that made him a Sith in the first freaking place. Padme and the child. He stares at the viewport. We see a quick flash of Padme in the, you're breaking my heart. Moments from Revenge of the Sith, a shot of Padme's funeral, which Vader couldn't have been at, so it must be a recording that he's thinking of of Padme's funeral, unless that's just meant for the audience, of his view from inside the TIE Fighter chasing down Luke's X-Wing, a shot of him facing off with Luke back in Skywalker Strikes, and then back to Vader, I have a son. He will be mine. It will all be mine. Iris out. First arc is over. Yeah, I got to admit, I, I think for me, the tie-in aspect is probably what is serving this series the most right now, from my point of view. I really like that, you know, it, it's coming and going, and it's telling enough of the story that leaves you, you know, following this one along, but it's holding out just enough details that you have to go to the other series to follow the rest of Vader's story. Um and I see, I think in this regard, I'm opposite of you. Like, I really think that the ongoing Star Wars one is the number one series of the Marvel series right now, with this one being the second. Um, it, and I think that that really comes down to, I think that there's just going to be more to this in the long run before it gets to a point where I feel like it's telling its own story. I feel like right now it's filling in background as to what's been going on. Uh, we've had the introduction in, in issue three of the new characters and stuff. So we're on a step in the right direction, but you know, you, you think about it like that. It's like, okay, we're at the very end of the first half of this arc and we're introducing new characters at this point. Uh, you know, we have these new I don't even know what we're going to call them. I mean, they're not inquisitors. They're not, I guess, potentials. 
uh, you know, this, this potential group of, of Vader replacements, uh, or just the replacements, I guess we could call them, uh, you know, and, and how much more will they factor in? Uh, you know, I, I love the dynamic here between Vader and Palpatine. I love the fact that we've had an epiphany here that I think from legends, you know, we, we've kind of felt like that epiphany is old news, but you know, if you're in that camp where you feel like you're just retreading ground again, I have to say, you know, you, you're going to have to put on your suspension of disbelief and recognize this is a new universe and that everything's wide open. Um, you know, that, that the biggest hurdle for us EU fans is, is getting over that and into that realm of open-mindedness. If you can get there and you can take this for a new universe being explored, I think there's a lot of really good potential in this series, especially, uh, you know, a lot of cool things that they're introducing that they haven't quite answered a lot of riddles going on. And I think for me that that's that aspect of like what John Jackson Miller does and stuff that, that I kind of hang back from. Like I enjoy a good mystery when there's answers right away. Uh, and the whole thing with what was going on with the Naboo fighter or, or frigate or whatever we're calling that, that spaceship from episode one. I'm confused as hell by that. Like, I, I seriously have no clue as to why that's going on. Uh, but the other directions, I'm very positive about where it's going. I want to know more. I want to know more about these characters. I'm hoping they're going to be around for a long time. And by that, I don't just mean in this series. I would love to see characters that are being introduced in these comics show up in books and stuff that are set maybe five, ten years from now. I want some characters that are introduced in these mediums to start making it into other mediums and have a presence. You know, I mean, I, I think of characters like Karan Horn and Jaina Solo and Ben Skywalker. Granted, two of those were mainstay kids, but you've got your Gavin Darklighters. You've got your face. You know, there are so many other characters out there that had nothing to do with the films that became mainstays for EU fans, fan, you know, characters that the fans love. Uh, you know, and I would love to see some of these characters become that, especially Dr. Afra. I mean, she's a character that has a unique personality that I think just surviving this mission could make for a very interesting character development point. I mean, she could go any of a couple different directions after having a run in with Vader. I mean, she could either go completely sadistic, torturistic. Or she could kind of back away and be kind of like uh, that one girl in our episode of True Diversity Goes Unnoticed, where she's like, I'm backing away. Vader's a little scary. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I like the series. I think it's a good series. I would not suggest only following this in singles, uh, mainly because I, I, you know, I keep saying it. I, the trade paperbacks is where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. And I think with this one, granted, at the point of right now, even I have been reading it on my phone because I've been getting the digital versions. So I don't even have the full one yet. And I think that the biggest thing for me up to this point was getting all the story to really put it together and be like, okay, now I can say with affirmative action that it is a good story or this was a crap story, you know, and that's the hard part is waiting till you get to that sixth issue, reading them all back to back and getting the full intention of the story. And this one, it still leaves a lot of things that I feel like they're going to tell us in the next arc. Um, and so for me, I, it's hard to put this one above the other one because the other one, I felt like it delivered on everything that it had promised. This one, I feel like it's still promising more goodies. Not necessarily a bad thing, but it is something that I got to hold my breath and think about. And see, I like the fact that this one does feel so different. There was so much about the the regular Star Wars series that felt like it was either, okay, here's generic Rebel Mission number one, generic Rebel Mission number two, with, granted, some great dialogue. 
but a lot of stuff that felt like, well, we've seen it before. Until Sana Solo jumps into the picture, uh, it very much felt like we're seeing stuff that we've seen before. And, oh, here's Boa Fett versus Luke. How are we going to make it so that it's something new for Empire? Oh, here's Vader versus Luke already. Well done. Very well done. And here's how he finds out the name of Luke Skywalker. Again, well done. Albeit kind of early. But it, it never really felt like it was breaking away from traditional Star Wars-style storytelling. It was telling us something entertaining, but not necessarily all that new. This really felt like something new. It gave us a story focusing on Vader that really, unlike what we got, it seemed like with the Darth Vader and the series that were out there. It gave us a solid story with Vader that gave us just enough of him to be menacing without it being overblown or having to be told from some other character's point of view. Like, I love Darth Vader in the Ghost Prison, but it's Lorita Tom's story. It's not Vader's story. Um, and then you've got the things where it's just he's a super powerhouse, but he doesn't really say much of anything, and you wind up with a story that kind of falls flat like Darth Vader in the Ninth Assassin, or Darth Vader and, as we call it, the lack of plot. Um, this played it up very well. I love the new characters. Triple Zero and Aphra are incredible characters. I want to see more of them. They are the highlights, not just of the new Marvel comics. They are the highlights, as far as new characters, of the entire new canon so far. And yes, I'm including characters in Rebels. I like Aphra and Triple Zero more than the characters from Rebels. Um, just, it's, it's a great set of characters they're creating for this and some interesting situations with what's going on with Tag and whatnot. While I do think that just, let's have a battle royale, let's American gladiators to figure out who gets to be Palpatine's right hand is kind of dumb. And the idea of having Vader be replaced by people who are faking the Force is kind of dumb. That's not what happened. It's what felt like it was going to happen. And instead it goes up into... Vader's still going to be the Sith Apprentice, but someone else might be the right hand in terms of military matters now that Vader has screwed up, just like Tag is handling a lot of the military stuff now. So it makes sense that if Palpatine was willing to do something like make a cybernetic Vader, why not? And depending on which continuity you're looking at, whether you're talking about the, the Clone Wars and what it added to the Legends continuity or what we got in Legends prior to the Clone Wars coming in like a wrecking ball, um, there was an, a previous incarnation of General Sidious, or General Sidious, General Grievous's background, in which his transformation cybernetically was done as something the Sith did to him or started the process of, instead of him doing it himself. It makes sense that Palpatine would use cybernetically enhanced warriors of one form or another to carry out his bidding. And the idea that this is someone contracted by the Empire, do, oh, I love Silo's idea of being like a Cylon and coming back, um, and creating these beings out there and having them out there as competitors, but at the same time not being quite like Vader, that works. It's a different take than the angle of simply, well, I'm going to create another Sith Apprentice in secret and send him out there as your rival now, Vader. You better take him out or you better outdo him. It can be something that's familiar yet new, even if it is kind of weird. I'm hoping they use those characters well, rather than in the, they're just the new X-Men type of approach that it felt like when we first met them back in issue number five, that they're really going to be used well and get some personality. If they get even half the personality we got with Afra, it's going to be great to see them develop as characters. Uh, do I think that you can read this series by itself without the other one? No. Because you need, what the heck was Boba Fett doing? How did he find out about Luke? What's up with that other meeting with Jabba? Wait a second, what? The, the shipments have to do with Jabba somehow? What? 
you do need to be reading both of them. But together they make this outstanding whole of which I think this is the highlight or has many of the scenes that are highlights, even though it doesn't stand as well on its own. I'm, I'm very interested in seeing where this series goes, less interested in seeing where the other series goes. I want to know who Sana Solo is, and I'm kind of interested in seeing some of those flashbacks to Obi-Wan, though what all can he really be doing if he's just hanging out on Tatooine for 19 years? Um, at least assuming that's the way it's going to happen in canon. Maybe he leaves every once in a while like he did back in Legends. Um, I don't know. None of that really gets me super excited Unless it's going to turn out that Sana Solo is Lando's sister or something and you get a new meaning for what you pulled. This series actually gives me threads that I am excited to see grow. This mm. one, I want to see what happens next. The other one, I'm just going to see what happens next. You know what I mean? There's, there's that, that difference of, of interest level, I guess, for me. Although both of them are heads and shoulders above the Princess Leia miniseries. And <laughs> to a degree... I would say they're better than the Kanan miniseries, but I don't think the Kanan miniseries really has as much room to grow until they get past the last Padawan and start getting a chance to explore more than trying to cram a bunch of background into five reissues or whatever it is. Yeah, no, you make a good reason as to why this one has more interest in the long run. Another aspect of one of the characters in this that really gets me interested is Silo. The aspect that he is a hodgepodge of species i mean that that green big black eye is a trandoshan eye um you know and he's got other species grafted to him and the fact that he does this resurrection type technology but then there's the question of what's the body is it a clone did they find a way to clone him exactly in his you know hodgepodge species form because he looks exactly the same. It's not like they, they took a clone of him and it's him before he had all the surgeries. No, it's a clone of him as he is today with all the enhancements. So what kind of process are we using? Which gets me to that angle of, you know, I've always been huge on the whole cloning when did Palpatine start using clones and all that. Well, that's all out the door. The only cloners we have in Legends are the Kamoans. So what is the process that he is using is it one that we have seen before, or is this the first something new in the clone slash duplication process of the new Star Wars canon? Very interested in that regard. It's, it's one of those angles that, you know, I've always found it fascinating. Uh, you know, I, I've always been curious as to how Palpatine was working with the other clones and all that kind of stuff. So knowing that this guy is coming back in some form or fashion makes me stop and wonder, scratch my head. Is this the classic clone bodies that we're seeing, or is this, again, something new? Because everything about what this guy was doing was new. So I could see them introducing something new as well, and, and that's the angle about this series that I'm really excited for. I do want to know more about a lot of the stuff going on in here, and in that degree, I'm 100% with you. Uh, you know, This one has more going in the mystery side of things that you want to know more about than the regular Star Wars one, for sure. I'm going to place money now and be wrong that the process used isn't Kaminoan or Kaminoan cloning technology. It's nothing carried over from legends like Spartite cylinders. I think they made his new body with a 3D printer. <laughs> nice. So with that, we move into our covers. Now, like with the other Marvel Star Wars series, they have decided to just flood the market with a bunch of variant covers, alternates, and all this other reprinting and other fun aspects. We're just going to be covering the ones that came out on the digital versions and on the trade paperback itself. And the regular copies. That is true. 
Now, with that, the first issue, it's also the one they used for the trade paperback. Uh, it's got Vader holding his lightsaber out in his right hand, and it's coming across his body towards his left arm with this. He's kind of posing with the Captain Morgan pose, really. Uh, I think that's kind of what they were going for with this one. It was used for the trade paperback. It's pretty solid. It's got, like, some smoke action. It kind of looks like he's standing in his meditation chamber. Like, he's like the Vader in a box kind of thing. Captain Nita, what do you have? I, I don't know. It's kind of fun. <laughs> It's my Sith in a box. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, the second one, uh, the second one's kind of fun. It's got that almost photorealisticness to, to uh, the new general tag. Uh, the stormtroopers all in a lineup. And Vader's kind of marching in. He must be marching pretty fast because his cape is billowing pretty high, clearly so we can see tag and the rest of them and all that. But... I don't know. It's got a nice power pose look to it. I'm digging on that one. Number three, uh, it's again, it's the one I bought in physical. Uh, it's got Dr. Afra on it. It's got a triple zero on there. It's got BT one. I, I don't know. It's got a classic look to it. Some about that one. I'm really digging on. Maybe it's the droids. I don't know. Granted BT doesn't exactly look how BT looks in the comic. Not at all. Really? Um, which, in a lot of ways, I kind of almost wish he looked more like the cover because it would seem like he would fit into a lot more places, kind of how Chopper does on Rebels. But I'm unwilling to give that one a, a look over. Uh, number four, I like the red stylization of this one. We've got the uh, Geonosis factory, basically, although you can't tell because the droids actually look like the way they look when they're fighting for the Separatists. They don't look Geonosian styled. Uh, Invader standing in the midst of a circle of them. He's chopped a few down already. Great pose. All really good Vader covers. Um Number five, one of my favorite ones here as well. You've got Vader standing. He's holding the lightsaber in a double-handed grip, kind of over the left shoulder, casting some of the red on the shoulder. But then you've got a green and a yellow lightsaber crossed up over his neck, almost kind of like the Dooku pose. And the thing I really like the most about this is the wash of the colors of the blades. Like, they do a really good job of seeing all the different cues on his armor and reflected off the lights. I really dig that. I don't know. Some about it really just appeals to me. And I'd say six for me is probably the one I don't care for the most. Although I will give it props. The uh, photorealisticness of Emperor Palpatine does do a pretty good job, but I think it does it too well. Reminds me very much of the uh, early monkey look to Palpatine that I never really cared for. Uh, you got Vader in the background, kind of looking very subservient. It's clearly he just got his nards chewed on by Palpatine there and is not happy about it. Uh, Nate, what are your favorites and dislikes on these? Well, I think I'm going to be a little bit different than you in some respects. I do like the first issue cover, but again, I agree he definitely has that Captain Morgan kind of thing going on, like he's supposed to be advertising some type of Imperial hooch. Um, it is a nice cover, and you get to see actually some of the different steps in which this was developed, both with and without the meditation chamber type stuff over it. In, I think it's the last page actually in that director's cut of this issue, which I thought was kind of cool. They actually show some steps in the creative process, not of just here's, you know, the black and white, then the color, but here's some of the different iterations he went through before picking the final style of it. So I thought that was cool. Um, number two, I like the idea of Vader marching by the troops and Tag looking onward, but I can't get over the cape. I mean, yeah, he's either walking extremely quickly, you know, he's Speedy Gonzalez, like, and zipping by. Or he's walking into a fan and he's got this chest puffed out, arms back kind of look like he's trying to be a supermodel. Right, that he's just walking with the wind blowing like he's on the Victoria's Secret runway and the bow is blowing behind him kind of thing. And 
Match that with the fact that now apparently we know, and I guess I never really thought of this, but it becomes clear in this picture. I'd have to go back and look at how Vader has been drawn in the past, but I'm used to thinking of Vader in the action figure sort of way. It's his torso and his arms and his legs and everything, and then you have the cape that connects into his shoulders or to his neck, and it's just the cape billowing. But you notice that Vader in this has a skirt, or kilt, or whatever they call the little butt tissue thing that hangs off your Titan character in in a Destiny. But you notice he's got something now that's like a, like a little mini cloak hanging from his waist past his butt, because when the cloak's blowing behind him, there's still that fabric coming off his waist. Well, see, I've always, and I, maybe this is just the changes in the armor, but when I look at it, it doesn't look like a comma per se. It looks like it's the inner robes on the Jedi robe and they go down and his belt's wrapped around that and then it billows out from the back. But it doesn't seem like he really has any kind of robes on the rest of his back because you can see the pattern of the, the torso armor on his back. It's coming just out of his waistband. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe he's concerned like about fabric. <laughs> maybe he's concerned about running out of toilet tissue, or he just wants something to billow when he passes cybernetic gas, uh, <laughs> a la Cartman. Um, number three, that's the cover that I absolutely love out of these. Um, it has that movie-style feel. You can imagine a similar cover out there with something else behind, maybe even Darth Vader as a looming evil, but with C-3PO, R2-D2, and Leia, or with Padme, perhaps. Um, the cocky attitude, it's, it's not that they're making Aphra into a sexualized figure. She's an attractive figure, but not a sexualized figure. And here she's got kind of that cocky pose that gives you that sense of attitude, but also almost a kind of sensuality that you don't get from her in the regular issues. It really makes it feel like this is sort of that overblown like movie poster style, like we often see where the movie posters kind of buff up the men and sexualize the women more so than they would be in the regular movie. So love that cover, hands down my favorite of them, just because of, of how it captures everything. But you're right, BT just doesn't look quite like himself. Uh, number four, probably my least favorite of the covers, because those aren't the same battle droids that are in the actual issue. It's so washed out red that from a distance you can't tell what's around Vader, even though it's all pretty well done overall. Uh, five, five kind of gets me... Because I like the way that the different colors wash out over Vader. That is really well done. What's not so much well done is the recognition of what's happening. Because Vader's standing there with the, his lightsaber off to one side. It doesn't look like he's blocking either of the blades coming toward him. From that angle, since it's sort of from the first-person perspective of someone in between the two other lightsaber holders, it's not clear that what we're looking at is something that's supposed to be like Anakin crossing the blades in front of Dooku's neck about to behead him. It looks more like one of the two twins is trying to attack Vader, and the other one is blocking the slice, which makes no sense. So, not a big fan of that cover. Six, I actually also really like. It's my second favorite of these covers because of how photorealistic it is. I like Vader with the downcast look, but they get Palpatine and nail Palpatine for his Return of the Jedi visage. I've never been a fan of the way that Palpatine looks once he's grizzled in Revenge of the Sith. It looks like a dude in a rubber mask. Whereas back in, in Return of the Jedi, he looked freaking creepy, crackly evil. And that's how he looks here. And they've even got it right down to with his hands crossed in front of him. There's cracks in his freaking thumbnail that we see. Um, extremely well done photorealistic cover for that one. So for me, six comes in as a very close second. Three comes in as first place. Awesome. 
And the other ones, all good covers, but not right what I would expect with, say, being on par with six or three. And I gotta say, there's a part of me that's shocked that they didn't use the cover for number three for the upcoming trade paperback. But I guess if you're gonna call it Darth Vader, he needs to be something other than in the background. But it's definitely the kind of cover that would draw attention. And I would bet that at some point it will show up on a calendar or a poster. Oh, yeah, I could easily see that being the case. This would make a glorious poster, yeah. And that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans, so if you have any Star Wars slash EU questions, or if you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles you can explore. You can explore the Star Wars Expanding Universe or the canon one or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark Whistler. And Nathan. Saying, thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that now that we've come to like Afra, Triple Zero, and BT1, that are just going to freaking kill them off sometime in the next arc. Oh, some one and dones. Or what are the odds that Vader's going to fall in love with Afra? Roses are red. Violets are blue. You look like Padme, so... Whoa! Damn, son! Whoa! I was thinking of all kinds of, of, of twisted things to say, and he just comes out and is like, he just drops the... A- <laughs> Serve Vader style! <laughs> dark side. When you join the dark side, you must whip it. Whip it. <laughs> And that's a camera. <laughs> wrong button, dumbass. What the? <laughs> wrong app, Whistler. Wrong app. <laughs> All right. The droid goat. The droid. Oh my God! Say it for me. Goatra. Goatra. Oh, like a goat. Okay. Getting a thing for Vader simply because she's half nuts. And this is kind of like what she lives for, but I don't want to see Vader get a thing for her and be like, you know, 
Dr. Afra, if my junk still worked, I would show you the true meaning of the dark side, if you know what I mean, or anything like that. I don't want to see a relationship. I don't want to see this series become a romantic comedy. <laughs> Please, God, no. Oh, Lord Vader, how are we going to do this tonight? We go in the light or the dark side? <laughs> two in the light. <laughs> One in the light and two in the dark. Oh, no. No, no, no. I thought my bad joke ages ago about hide the lightsaber was bad. Okay, so. <clears throat> I don't know if that'll be in the outtakes or in the regular show, folks. It depends on Mark's mood while he's editing. <clears throat> but Vader immediately. Eye of what the Sith are about and what they're capable of. I mean, even these guys are Sith, Jedi. We want to be something more. It's like. You want to be a Sith, man. The, the Sith have got the power. I fear you'll have to put this in the outtakes, but it's kind of like instead of being master and apprentice, it's I am the butch. You are the butch. <laughs> Just saying. So we move into the final issue here, and... Oh, and the... And the Oz... Oh, Jesus. Dr. Alpha. Dr... Did I say it right? Afra? Afra. Okay. Like Especially Afro, except with an A. Okay. I want to know who Sana Sai... Uh... Now, moving on into... Oh, God. Oh, God. Human parts. Trandoshan parts. And the... Of a Wookiee. <laughs> <laughs> and now you know where they really rip your arms from. While he was enhancing, he was like, Well, since I'm going to be training a lot with some of these lady freaks on my own. <laughs> God, no. Oh, God. Why? Why? But why go with the Wookiee? A bantha. The four stands for how many feet? Feet. <laughs> Okay, I should stop, because we're going to have to put it in a different feed if I go too much further. Mark, are you muted? Yeah, I'm muted. I'm cussing at my computer. It's popped up this weird window that wants me to give feedback for OneNote. What? And I can't shut it down. There's no X to get rid of the damn thing. What feedback? What kind of feedback do you have? I like something. I dislike something. I have a suggestion. Privacy statement. Give me a box to close this window. Mm-hmm. That should be your suggestion. Yeah. I liked it until this box started to Oh, what the hell is it doing? Ah, uh, okay. I guess I don't need that, but okay. Okay, okay, yeah. Covers! Time! Fixed enough for now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think we're good. Alright. Woo! Okay. 